Have you ever walked through an area that you normally drive through, right? And all of a sudden, you begin to notice all these things that you had never seen before. Uh, Main Street here in Clarksburg is like that. You can drive through and things look, you know, yeah, oh, cool, that's a little thing, that's a little... But if you walk through, you see all these intricate details that people spend a lot of time on. And they're, and they're really neat. But sometimes you miss that stuff when you drive through. And that's kind of like our study in the book of Acts that we've been doing over the past uh, eight weeks, and this being week nine. We're driving through pretty fast, but I encourage you to take time to walk through the book of Acts sometime and see all the things that the early church was doing and that God was doing with them. The Holy Spirit had come and the gospel was in the streets, spreading throughout the known world and people were being changed. And change was scary for some people, so they tried to stop it. But nothing could stop the good news of Jesus. Justin Holcomb says this about this, this time in church history. He said, after the Jerusalem council, ruling that the Gentile Christians do not need to be circumcised for their salvation, Paul sets out on his second and third missionary journeys, taking Silas as his companion. And as the gospel spreads throughout Asia Minor and the Roman world, God is at work through the ministry of Paul to bring all kinds of people to faith in Christ. From pagans who have no knowledge of redemption uh, redemptive history to people who, like Apollos, which we're going to talk about today, who knew the baptism of John but did not know of Jesus. And we see ner- uh, numerous churches planted as the gospel message extends even further. This was a, a just dynamic time in church history. We remember last week we saw that Paul and Barnabas had separated over the disagreement about whether or not they should take John Mark on uh, the next missionary journey because he had quit in the past and, and Barnabas wanted to give him a second chance, but Paul didn't. So instead, Paul chose Silas to accompany him on his second missionary journey. Even in this breakup of partnerships, God was using it to multiply his witness to the world. Let's check out the, uh, the ground that they covered for three years as they traveled all over the known world. They were going all over the place, and God was doing big things. They had broken out of Jerusalem and were spreading the gospel all over. In chapter 16, we're introduced to a young man named Timothy. And he was the son of a Christian Jewish woman and a Greek man. And later in the letter that, we, that Paul writes to Timothy that we call 2 Timothy, we find out that Timothy's mother and grandmother play a huge role in Timothy becoming a, father, a follower of Jesus. His grandmother and mother, they discipled him. Did you know that in West Virginia, it's the second in the nation in percentage of grandparents raising their grandkids at 54%. Grandparents, we need you not to sit back. Our kids in this state need you. You need to Uh, engage in your faith. Our state needs godly grandparents that love and care about kids and are willing to do whatever they can to help pour into the next generation. It made a difference in Timothy's life. The West Virginia Baptist Convention has an intentional grandparenting training program. Uh, You should check that out on the website when their next date is coming up. But in verse Uh, 6 through 10 of chapter 16 in this letter that Luke wrote to Theophilus, we see Paul being led by the Holy Spirit 
with a vision to go to Macedonia. There in Philippi, Paul meets Lydia, the seller of purple dye. She was a wealthy woman and she became a follower of Jesus and helped start a church in her home. And we got to look closely at this back in 2018. Those of you who have been with us this long, you remember that when we went through the book of Philippians. And Paul wrote this letter to the church that she helped start there. And if you ever want to go back and check out some of these books of the Bible that we've gone through, you can check them out on the website. But through this interaction with Lydia that was initiated through the Holy Spirit, the church of Philippi becomes this beautiful picture of a church that broke down racial walls and economic walls and social walls. There was a slave girl that had been uh, changed and healed. There was a prison guard who had formerly been helping to oppress them, but once they were released from prison, they were able to see uh, he, that family get saved and become followers of Jesus Christ. And then Lydia, this wealthy woman, all these people of different backgrounds started this church in Philippi. These people that just had Jesus in common. And it worked because they were led by the Holy Spirit. And that's how we can be a church family, even though we've got different ideas and different backgrounds and different social, uh, you know, economic standings. We can be that because we have Jesus in common. So Paul and Silas were thrown in prison over all this that they were doing, this ruckus that they were causing. But they prayed and they worshiped while they were in prison and God miraculously set them free. And we're reminded that we can worship through our problems today and through our worry today. Next, they move on to Thessalonica. Years later, Paul would write a letter to the Thessalonians to encourage them to continue to be followers of Jesus. And when Paul went there, he went to the synagogue and the religious leaders got jealous and they tried to kill him. Does this sound familiar yet? This is like the whole book of Acts, right? And the religious leaders tried to convince the authorities that Paul and Silas were rebels against Caesar because they believed in King Jesus. And they tried to frame Christianity as a political movement. But it's not. The Roman world wouldn't last forever. The apostles' uh, purpose was so much bigger than politics. They were citizens of another country called heaven. And Paul and Silas are walking everywhere and preaching the gospel for six to nine months, seeing big wins and big trials. But God was with them, and the churches were being planted at a miraculous rate. Things were changing so fast that the Jews in Thessalonica even accused the Christianity of turning the world upside down, and they didn't mean that in a good way, right? But they didn't know how right they were. Silas and Paul then move on to Berea. And there were already Christians there in Berea. And there's something really cool the Bible tells us about these Christians in Berea in Acts chapter 17, verse 11. It says, Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness. And then here it is. It says, Examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Paul and Silas and the apostles were shaking up the world at this point. They were kind of making some noise. They were gaining followers. They had influence. And they were a little bit famous. But these followers of Jesus in Berea were not content to let these Christian leaders 
guide them without being sure that God's word was behind it. They wanted to see it in God's word for themselves. They weren't just going to follow these leaders blindly. They didn't have a motive to make the Bible say anything they didn't want it to say. So instead, they scoured the scriptures to make sure that what they believed and what the apostles taught all lined up in God's word. They were objective. They weren't married to their way or their traditions. They just wanted to follow God's word above all else. Timothy and Silas stayed there in Thessalonica. And they discipled these Christians and teaching them God's word. Walking with them through scripture. And Paul went on to the city of Athens, Greece. And this is a turning point where the main opposition becomes not just the Old Testament Jews but uh, that were rejecting Christ, but the governments and the political powers. They were causing too much of a disturbance. So Paul goes on to Athens. And up to, up to this point, he had been to some pretty big cities to preach the gospel. But this was like the big time, right? Athens was the center of uh, philosophy and thought for the ancient world. So when you think of Athens, you can think of like New York City or London or Paris. The Greeks were educated and cultured and knowledgeable people. They were philosophers and musicians and scientists. Imagine scholars in togas uh, lying around being fed grapes as they discuss whether or not we exist, right? It was once said by a Roman, it's easier to find a god than a man in Athens. That's because Athens had over 30,000 gods that they worshipped. They erected statues and idols and altars all over. Every street corner were covered in idols. They even had an altar to a god without a name. In addition to the 12 main Greek mythology gods that we know of, there were innumerable lesser gods. And they also worshipped an idol, a deity, supposedly, called Agnostos Theos, the unknown god. And this god had his own temple. The Greeks would often swear in the name of the unknown god. And this wasn't as much as a specific deity, but more of a placeholder for any gods that they might have missed and they didn't know their names, right? So just in case we miss one, Agnostos Theos is going to cover all of those. And when Paul saw this city fully given to idolatry, Paul was heartbroken that they were so lost and confused. So Paul, Paul got up and proclaimed the truth about the real God that they didn't know. One thing you'll notice with this city is that it was different than some of the others. As Paul preaches to them, he went to their turf and he used their language. And he doesn't just quote the Old Testament uh, you know, prophets. He also quotes their scholars. And he meets them where they are at. And he studied their beliefs so that he can speak uh, to ways that they would understand. So that he might win them to Christ. Paul was a student of culture so that he could speak into their culture. And his goal was to be in the world and able to interact with the world, but not necessarily be of the world. He doesn't accept the sinful parts of culture. He rails against idolatry, but he also doesn't fight unnecessary culture wars with the Greeks to try and make them look more like Jews. Here, Paul also interacted with the Epicureans, 
who didn't believe in gods at all. Their purpose was to glorify their senses and pleasures. And then he also interacted with the Stoics, who didn't rule out gods, but they mostly believed in fate. Neither one of them believed in the afterlife. And all these people are intrigued with Paul as he's speaking and preaching and telling all about Jesus. And they invite him to the Areopagus, which is on Mars Hill. It was like the Supreme Court of Athens. And they debated philosophy and religion there. And they loved to go and listen to the philosophers speak. So Paul got up in the prestigious place here and he preached the gospel. Remember, you don't have to put your mind on a shelf to be a Christian. Paul was able to stand in front of the courts of the philosophers and explain what he believed. And the people of Athens, they loved to hear about new belief systems and the next new idea. And they were excited to hear what Paul had to say. Some people are kind of like that today too, right? They're, they love to debate philosophy and theology, but they're not really doing anything constructive with it. Acts seventeen twenty two says, So Paul, standing in the midst of the Arabicus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. He's looking around at all these 30,000 idols like, yeah, you guys are real religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship as an unknown God, this I proclaim to you. And Paul goes on to tell them this God that is unknown to you is the creator of the world. Man was created by him that he might seek a relationship with God. And we don't need to give him anything. He has everything he needs. You don't need to give him uh, uh, you know, food offerings of fruit or clothes. He has everything he needs. He is the one that sustains us. And God is not a gold or a silver or a stone statue formed by the art and the imagination of a man. He's so much bigger than that. And one day he will come to judge all those that reject him and his authority. You didn't know about this unknown God before, but now you do, and you have to make a decision about him. Verse 30 says, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Now, When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others say, well, we'll hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst. But some men joined him and believed, among whom also were Dionysus the Arabogite and a woman named Damaris and others with them. Paul standing in front of this huge crowd that has so many idols and gods they could never even mention them all. And he tells them all that time and that money and that effort that they put into making these gods and worshiping them. They're wasting their time. There's only one God. And there's only one thing in this world that will fulfill the desires in you to have something to worship. And you might look at these men in Athens and say, man, they're silly, right? They made little statues and they worshiped them. But each and every person on earth worships something. 
We all have our idols that we build and they cannot sustain our soul. And all that time and money and effort that they put into making those gods, it was futile. There's only one God and he came to earth and walked among us and arose and, and he lives forevermore that you might live. That question, what should I do with Jesus, is a question each of us must answer. For 2,000 years, people have asked, is Jesus a liar or a lunatic or Lord? Is he a maniac, a madman or Messiah? And these people in Athens had to make up their minds as well. These verses say that some mocked. Some said that they'll make up their mind later. But some believed. And became followers of Jesus. That's Paul's preaching to these people. You might think, man, he, I'm sure he preached the message of his life. And still one third, if that, rejected it. And you can't control other people's decisions on Jesus. Your job is to lay out the most wonderful story ever told in the clearest way possible being sure that your testimony lines up with the beauty of the gospel. So after all this, Paul leaves Athens and he heads to Corinth. We just talked about the church in Corinth with our study on the first letter to the Corinthians. And we saw how Paul had told them and wanted them to remember to respond with the gospel in every situation. In his first step, uh, his first stop in Corinth, he met Aquila and Priscilla. And this was a husband and wife team of Christian leaders. They were tent makers, like Paul was. They had to leave Italy because the Roman emperor Claudius had sent all the Jews out of Rome. Ancient history, uh, history tells us that the expulsion was because of a social disruption that the followers of a man named Christus had started, which is probably a reference to Christ. So Silas and Timothy, they leave Berea, where Paul had left them when he went on to Athens. And they all meet in Corinth, and they preach in the synagogue there. But many of the Jews in the synagogue rejected Christ and mocked Paul. So Paul began to preach in the house of a new believer named Titius Justice. But something awesome happened. That ruler of the synagogue named Crispus became a follower of Jesus. God was doing big things. So the apostles' ministry in Corinth was fruitful, and they stayed there for a year and six months, discipling people. But the Jews in Corinth, they rejected Christ, and they couldn't take it anymore. And they lied to the leaders of the government in Corinth and told them that Paul was causing problems, and that Paul was leading people to a rebellion against Caesar in the name of another king named Jesus. And they wanted him to be arrested but it didn't work. And Paul continued to preach the gospel. That's what we see throughout the book of Acts. The Holy Spirit moves. People become followers of Jesus. Opposition comes. God wins every time. And the gospel moves forward. And that's how we have a church in Clarksburg, West Virginia, 2,000 years later. So the time comes for Paul and Luke and Silas and Timothy to head back to their home base of Antioch, wrapping up this roller coaster of a second missionary journey. 
The early church was being fleshed out and spread out. Yes, it started with the Jewish Messiah, but it was a movement for all nations, all people coming to worship uh, this King Jesus. Men and women, slave and free, all treated equally with love. And this was such a countercultural way to think compared to secular ideas back then. The Holy Spirit is moving and rushing through the world like a mighty wind. And the apostles are acting out the gospel on display and the church is on the move. Paul had looked at this confused city of Athens and he declared to them the unknown God. King Jesus. God in the flesh. God the Father. God the Son. God the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 of chapter 17 said this, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. It's talking about all of history has led up to this, and that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him, yet he is actually not far from each one of us. And that's our mission today as well, to make the unknown God known, to let people know that God is not far from us. He isn't hiding. And it's not enough just to be a spiritual person. It's not enough just to send out good vibes into the universe. It's not enough just to believe that Jesus was a good teacher or a great leader or one of the ways. In Athens, some mocked when they heard the gospel, and others delayed their decisions, but some chose to follow Jesus. And we can't control people's decisions, but our job is to proclaim the good news and to act it out with our lives. Each person in this world must make a choice to reject or to bow the knee to King Jesus. And once we decide to follow Jesus and accept the gospel, then we are called to take that message and to act it out. With every head bowed and eyes closed, as the worship team comes, this time at the end of the service might feel a little bit weird to you. The purpose of a message is not to convey information. It's not just to know more about the Bible. It's to to allow the Holy Spirit to change us. And for us to take something every Sunday and to build our faith and to act different in some way than when we came into this room. The goal is not just to, to earn our you know, degree in Bible knowledge, but it's to experience it out in the world. We saw here Paul proclaim the unknown God. There's a lot of people out there that do things in, in what they say is in the name of Jesus. And it's counterculture, it's it's counter to the Bible and what it says. There's a lot of people that are confused 
about who Jesus is, about who our God is. There's a lot of people out there that it doesn't even register that the God of the universe sent his son to pay for all of our sin and to cover our guilt and shame and that there's hope found in him. We've got a world out there that doesn't know God. And it's not the same thing to sing God bless America and to bow your knee at King Jesus. Those things don't equal the same. And it's our uh, opportunity, it's our responsibility to take the message of the God of the Bible and to live it out in the streets. So what does that mean for you today? Maybe there's something in between uh, you and sharing the gospel. Maybe there's some uh, habitual sin or some, some type of uh, bitterness or unforgiveness that you need to get right. Because if you told someone about Jesus today, it, it probably, they wouldn't listen because of how you've been. God promises freedom from our sin and our shame. Maybe it's that you're, you're scared. You don't want to offend anybody or you don't want to, uh, you know, stumble over your words. The easiest way to tell people about Jesus is just tell them how awesome he is in your life. You don't need to tell them, you know, how terrible they are or, or anything like that. You just tell them how awesome your God is. And just continually talk to them about him. Too often we become spiritual hermits and we hide in our houses and read our Bible in silence and, and we never act it out. That's our duty and that's our honor and that's our privilege to show love to Christ by spreading the word. Maybe you're here today and you've got some just thing, this circumstance or pain or trial that's in your life right now. Hey, God is not far away from you. God is not uh, deaf. He is not blind. He is not uh, sleeping. Begin to praise God for what he's done for you and worship through your worry and trials and to continually to surrender to him. And listen for that still, small voice today. As the music plays, continue in our time of worship. Maybe you're here today and you don't know yet that you're a follower of God. We saw in Athens there are basically three options. You can mock God and say, you know, he's not real or you can reject him. You can put it off till later. But you don't know what tomorrow brings. Or you can follow Jesus with your life today. There's no greater decision that you would ever make than put your faith and trust in Jesus and Him alone. God of the universe created you to worship Him. And that is your purpose, to glorify God with your life. And until you do that, you will be lost. you got to recognize your need for a Savior because there's this thing called sin. And each one of us participates in it. We lie and we cheat and we steal. And because of that, 
There's a separation between us and a holy God. But Jesus got off his throne in heaven and God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Jesus was a real person 2,000 years ago. He lived a perfect and a holy life for 33 years and he laid his life down on a cross so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. And then on the third day, he rose again, bringing our salvation with him. Christ alone is our hope. Today, you can put all your faith and trust in what Jesus did on the cross. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could call out to God right now. Words aren't important. It's about a genuine decision in your heart to turn around, to let go of all your good works and all your evil deeds and and to put your faith in Christ that he covered it all. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, I pray that you would change us in some way today. God, I pray you would motivate us to live out the gospel. God, I pray anyone that's not yet a follower of you, God, would make that choice today. And never look back. God, we thank you for all you've done for us. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.